You are listening to another episode of Frontline Medic Podcast, brought to you by Ask Nicely. In this episode, we are talking to Addy Tobias, who is currently the head of customer experience at Uber, where she leads a team of people across seven countries in sub-Saharan Africa, committed to deliver superior experience through transformative customer experience strategies, culture, and best practice. So take along as we uncover the secret of what it takes to make every customer experience awesome. Thank you so much for taking your time to talk to me today. I know it's early morning for you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Suzanne. Yeah, definitely very early. Brain has not switched on as yet, but I'm hoping that I am uh, able to articulate um, well enough. For, we will for get it warmed up for you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, Eddie, where did you find your passion for customer experience? It's quite an interesting journey, I believe, because I never connected the dots up until I decided on my career path. And funnily enough, my first official job as a young teen slash early 20s person was working as a customer for Specsavers. Really random, did not expect that. I think it gave me an opportunity to define what I believed was a good customer service experience for people who came into the store. And once I kind of determined what I want customers to experience when they deal with me and that I want them to come back to me every single time they've got a question or they're looking to purchase an additional product, I realized the importance of having a distinct approach to customers. So that was the first spark for me. Then moving into kind of my formal career, I was able to kick it off in a high value, high net worth private bank, but they have quite a unique approach to, I'm not sure if they still have the saying, but back in the day, it was like, you've got to break China yeah. uh, for the time. <laughs> Right. And so that philosophy, as simple as it may sound, really entrenched what it meant to have a business built on the customers and what customers need. So as I transitioned into adulthood, I realized, wait, hold on, this kind of sparked something for me. I'm really like passionate about doing what's right for customers, doing, but also taking a sustainability approach in that, can we repeat this experience? Can we ensure that customers stick with us regardless of how things may go, whether it's a, a super positive interaction or not so great interaction, why would they keep coming back to, to us? Why would they keep recommending us? And in, in exploring that question, I realized, wait, hold on. I actually think what I want to do. And then the next question was, how do I make this my job for my lifetime? A really unpredictable way to, to get to this place. Um, I thought I wanted to be like a marketing person, like a CMO. But in actual fact, my passion was making sure that we're able to customize, but also um, ensure that there's repeatability to their customization and personalization. Amazing. And on a daily basis, what does that look like for you today? Ha, if you talk <laughs> to my team, you'll probably... <laughs> but for me, passion is incredibly important. I think I often am eager to go into in conversation that may not be easy conversations and advocating for customers isn't an easy job. 
at all at various levels within any organization. Businesses are built for customers, but often it's not in the minds of all of us every single day. So the person bringing that to the fore in these conversations and in participating in those conversations. So every day for me, is driven really by passion and making sure that we're doing what's right for our customers or users and ensuring that there is at least an awareness to what the customer needs are. And, and yes, customer empathy is really important to me, but I also realize that people are wired differently. And so just having that awareness about who our customer is, what they need from us, and why it's important to consider that in every single conversation or every decision is what I spent my my days doing. You mentioned that you have you know big passion for empathy when it comes to CX. So tell me what does that mean um, from a customer-centered environment? When you're talking to, to senior stakeholders, it could come across as being really fluffy, touchy-feely, nothing really concrete. But there are concrete models that we can use to ensure that understanding the customer perspective is at the core of every single decision. One of those methods is looking at design thinking and design thinking methodologies to ensure that there's a human-centered approach in absolutely everything we do and not just have it be speak. So that means we interrogate the every single touch point, what does this actually mean for these people, for our, our, our driver base? Is it going to deliver value? And if not, like, how do we fix this? In my space, it's always looking at root causes. So using kind of the five whys. Why did this happen? Okay, but why five times? Up until we get to a point where we have a good, better sense of what worked and what didn't work. So a continuous improvement model, which should be part of kind of BAU. So when we do optimize and we say, oh, actually, this doesn't work so well. This process is broken or the way that we thought this product would work isn't actually really translating for the market. Now, how do we improve that? Not just once, but every single time so that we've got repeatability. To me, customer centricity isn't just a strategy that you put forward at the beginning of the year. It's not just a program. It's really part and parcel of how you make every single day business decisions. And, and that top of the mind, like having customers top of mind, doesn't mean that it's, oh yeah, so we've got this customer, this is our customer profile and this is who we're catering to. But really, what does every single step of, of this engagement touch point product mean for our key customer base? So I always try to take it from a very fluffy, high level narrative to a practical conversation with every single um, product decision, pricing decision, market decision, which isn't always easy, yeah. but something that I continue to stri strive to do. Are you, are you able to share some example of where the customer has really been the center of a big change or something that uh, you've been through? I, I have a few examples, but I think COVID really taught us lots of lessons. And I think those lessons are deeply ingrained now in, in how I make decisions um, moving forward and how important crisis management is, how yeah. important compassion is. And so some of those examples is really when COVID hit, right? Understanding how that impacted our user base. What does that mean with various levels of lockdown, various market developments? It was quite complex to try and understand 
to understand the full landscape, first of all, and then to try and figure out, okay, so how do we now pivot, which is a word that I'm definitely don't love anymore, but how do we transition um, yeah. our optical model to that's more applicable in a very complicated environment? And one example is really thinking about from a, a driver perspective, right? What position are they in? They, at the beginning, couldn't operate, couldn't do what they would would typically do to, to gain an income. How can one of the, the, the great initiatives that was rolled out globally is looking at providing a stipend of, source, of sort when drivers either were in contact with people with COVID or had COVID themselves. Another thing that we looked at for our region across sub-Saharan Africa is just looking at ways to engage with each of the, the drivers in the market and what is it that they need. Is it that they're like, if they're not able to make the money that they typically make, can we support them with like food vouchers of sorts? Can we partner with nonprofit organizations to help meet those basic needs that they're not able to meet because of the situation? It sounds a little fluffy and charitable, but in a practical way, it was looking at, you know, how are our driver partners affected and how can we support? In addition, for riders, it was like people want to get, whether it be food, a package, a gift from themselves to a family member or a friend how can we make that possible we literally put a product together in that short amount of time which was insane to help deliver these packages or help riders and deliver things to the people that they love in in a period where we couldn't have contact with each other so it really is Thinking on your feet, considering what the true um, context is for your user base, and then looking at opportunities in which you can assist, help, and move the business forward in a maybe non-expected, non-traditional way. It was a big lesson for us, and mm -hmm. lots of those decisions that were made in that period, I think we were able to move forward and expand and turn it into a real product that now lives on. And I think what's different is that in different parts of the world, the driver base utilize the platform for different reasons, right? So in, in maybe developed countries, they use it as like an, a means to make extra income and have flexible work. Whereas for our region, it really is the primary source of income and it provides a means of living mm -hmm. for an entire household. And so it's their primary way of earning money. So the value that platform brings is significantly or exponentially higher in our region than it may be for someone who's just utilizing it as a means for to supplement extra. the current income. Yeah, exactly. Just an extra side gig or yeah. income. If you think about the experience you deliver for your customer yes. and in general mm -hmm. for any company, what is the difference between an experience that is average and one that is really good? Ah, the age-old question. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I, look, I think that we need to be mindful that different businesses operate at different levels. So FMCGs have high volumes and they don't often get to see the face of their customers. And so the way that they design a 
great customer experience is, is significantly different to that of um, a financial services institution or a more bespoke business or a hotel or service industry conversation. I think it's an important distinction, but it's also an important consideration in understanding what makes an interaction great. So in a high volume business, I think process is critical. Like you cannot go wrong with making sure that the basic needs are met for your customer. Whereas for a more bespoke service or a lower volume business, I think that it's important to consider authentic connection. You want to make sure that yes, the basic needs are and wants are met, but personalization, tonality, and then for me, what I, I consider to be the repeatability of the perceived value. In that interaction, are they getting what they expect to get from you as a business? Lots of people spend tons of money on marketing and positioning themselves in a way that sets them apart from, from their competitors. Where we often go wrong is, is not connecting the two. So it's often like, oh, yes, we're great from a marketing perspective, but then the delivery side is super uh, cold, super removed. It's two different parts of the same business. And so for me, making sure that there's a connection between the two is critically important, which is where I believe design thinking comes into play. So what makes an experience awesome? is ensuring that there is that connection, that you understand who your customer base is, and that you're able to repeat it at the same level continuously. Do it consistently, yeah. Yeah. So, so can you uh, give an example of when you have listened to a customer or customer data and made a, posi- a positive impact on the customer experience based on that? I think that happens very regularly in my current role. I value customer complaints probably more so than most because my belief is that if someone has taken the time to write in and complain about something, it means that they believe that you can do something about it and that you can fix it. So they've given you an opportunity to correct something that may not have um, gone as smoothly as, as you had anticipated or the business had anticipated. We have incredibly high volumes of people who write into us with many things that may not go according to plan. I, in the last maybe two weeks, got someone reaching out to me on LinkedIn saying, I've lost an item. I know it's probably a few days on now. I haven't been able to to contact the driver. Is there anything we could possibly do? And in me, firstly, being alerted to oh, wait, hold on, how come you weren't able to contact the driver? And because the time sensitivity of this conversation is critical, only because the driver is picking up someone else, like right after you. So I took the time to dig in to see what happened and realize, goodness, oh, actually the process isn't working the way that we expected. There was like a little bit of a, a glitch in the process that we needed to fix. So I think we because we have constant interactions and lots of data to work with it's very easy to hone in and be like oh is this a a small problem a medium problem or a big problem and what do we need to do to fix it for me that was I always value these interactions and they happen literally three or four times a week with someone saying hey something isn't working as well in this country 
can you help us? That's how I use, or at least that's what I use it to inform what our continuous improvement plan is moving forward. That's how we use like, customer interactions and customer data on a day-to-day -day basis. And more broadly, when looking at putting together our half-yearly strategy or annual strategy, we're looking at what these pain points are. We're looking at what people are writing into us for, and we're looking at whether things work as well as we expect them to work. A good measure for us is looking at customer satisfaction. A good thing is looking at how many trips someone has done with us potentially, or how many orders they've placed with us. So it's in, in intrinsic to how we make our decisions every single day. But for me on a personal level, when I receive an escalation or someone saying, hi, I haven't had much success with how things are currently working. I have an opportunity to look at it from my angle and then to ask the right question so that we can fix it as quickly as possible so that it doesn't affect a broader subset of, of our user base. And does Uber have some kind of guidelines like this is, you know, what we can, if this happens, we always refund uh, the whole trip or do you have some kind of policy in place yes. that this is, you know, what you can do and how does that look like? Yes. Yeah, so I, I think we definitely have policies that um, allow, I think, it's something that is built into the way that we handle our customer interactions anyway. So it doesn't necessarily need to be an extreme case or an exception. So how do we determine what's the right thing to do or when to refund? It really just depends on the nature of, of the contact. It depends on the nature of um, the market itself. And it also is dependent on the, the customer profile as well. That's something that is an important consideration. And how do you build that kind of ownership within your frontline teams that are dealing with those conversations on a daily basis? Look, I think it's incredibly difficult to have the right balance of empowerment and then putting processes or policies in place that in, enable repeatability. I think there is a very delicate balance between the two. So how do we do that? We've got different teams who handle different types of engagement. So if there is a really simple conversation or a simple question that gets sent into us, we have very clear policies that help our agents. The more complex the situation, the, the more um, specialized the team is that deals with that interaction. So everyone receives the same training pretty much, but as we move um, from segment to segment, we ensure that when training and when developing agents, we develop them in a way that enables them to service the segment that they allocated to. It's not a perfect solution always, but I think it's a way that helps us, especially with the incredible volumes that we see that kind of enable us to not only help agents become better at their job, but also ensure that we can entrust them to make the right decisions for customers and make the right decisions for businesses. I think the agent experience and agent training, um, them understanding the market nuances is incredibly important, but it can't, everyone can't be doing everything. So we split it out according to how complex the, the engagement is or the contact is, and then what that agent or agent group has been trained to do. We have some customer, some driver store, 
It could be like a, a weird item that has been lost in a car or something like that. Do you have some stories like that that you can share? I'll steer away from the details, but now we had someone write into us about um, leaving their puppet in a vehicle. Now, this puppet is very popular in um, one of our countries and everyone knows this puppet and the person who is the puppet master. And so we admittedly didn't necessarily, I think, communicate what that process is. And I think the onus was, is always on the person who lost the item to try and get hold of the driver so that they can recover it. However, the belief at the time was that the driver needed to have returned it out of his own, his own goodwill. Often they don't know what's in their car, first of all. <laughs> so you do need to let them know. But it turned into this conversation on social media. It was a conversation on email. It was a conversation that was potentially going into the news stories because it was a very popular puppet. Thankfully, thankfully, we were able to contact the driver, confirm that they had the puppet in the car. We could then arrange for the puppet to be delivered back to the owner or puppet master and thank the driver partner for, first of all, understanding the importance of this puppet, making sure that they're returning it in a timeliest fashion so that the puppeteer can go on stage and, and perform his act. So it was a, a time-conscious conversation, but I think that probably stands out for me because, goodness, was there a buzz on every single channel about what a show <laughs> yeah. oh, awesome. yeah. thanks for sharing that so how do you keep employees motivated super difficult question to answer i think traditional programs that we had were great to acknowledge when someone has done a, a good job i think in the last few years it's a little different, right? And so yeah. what we've really zeroed in is how do we ensure that our team feel valued and feel energized to keep doing what they're doing? All of us are incredibly fatigued. We're super, we're tired with how things have, have been in the last few years for us. What we kicked off was looking at or focused on self-development. So we spent quite a, a bit of time in the last two years focused on personal development and, and really helping them think a little more broadly around what do they need to do now to get them to the next step? So that's the yeah. first thing. The other thing is making sure that we're truly acknowledging at every single level when someone has done an exceptional job. Um, and we have multiple programs do that. So we've got a sub-regional program, we've got a mega regional program, we've got a global program that kind of all ties into each other. And they, one of them are called Customer Heroes and making sure that we're telling the story of what they did that was so incredible. Storytelling is quite a powerful tool to relay why that engagement or opportunity was so significant or so impressive. Yeah. So using that tool, but also making sure that we are acknowledging agents or the team not just to say, hey, pat on the back, you've done a great job, but we think that you actually demonstrate these skills that could help us in um, two or three other projects. So another thing that we did was really opening um, 
an opportunity for them to do short-term um, assignments. So mm. where they do have additional skills that they may not get to use in their everyday job, there are opportunities for them to flex it and strengthen it, not only to solve a business problem, but also to help them improve from a, a personal development standpoint. I think that it's an ecosystem. I don't think it's just one thing to say, hey, you've done a gr great job and this customer interaction was great, but I think that it is trying to hone those skills to develop people, but also to help them grow. And when they're motivated and encouraged and excited, they just do a better job um, at dealing with customers. Yeah. Some great tools there. If a company wants to create a better experience for the customer, what is one simple thing they can start with from today to create a long-term difference? I think what they can do from today is really look at their business model and interrogate whether it's truly customer-centric. And one way to do that is to use, I'm not sure if you know who Matt Watkinson is, but he's one of the people that I admire. And he's got a tool called The Grid that really helps you evaluate where you are at as a business. So not just from a customer experience team, but as a business, are we set up optimally to deliver the value that we need for customers? And then are we generating profit in doing so? And so he gives really great guidance on what to consider. There are, I think, like nine blocks in the grid that you can work through and really evaluate whether what you're doing is the right thing, first of all, or yes, it's the right thing, but we now understand that there's some gaps. And then from that point of view, kind of review and maybe refine your customer approach, but ensure that it's tied into the profitability of your business and then also whether you're meeting the, the, the needs and wants of your customer base. So that's, that's what they great. That's a good start just to read up on that. <laughs> Do you have a quote that you live by? That I live by? I have a few. I think my favorite in the work context is probably by one of my favorite people. Um, in the world and she's called Claire Musket and um, her quote is building a good customer experience doesn't happen by accident but it happens by design and that is true and even more so in the context that we are living and working in at the moment yeah that's a good one <laughs> I use it every day that's yeah. great yeah and that feels like it's really symbolizing that everything you're doing your job as well good quote to live by Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, it's been really great to chat with you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm really privileged and, and happy to have shared the time with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Frontline Medic Podcast with your host, Suzanne Exerson. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Suzanne at frontlinemedic.org with any feedback or thoughts that you would like to share on this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Ask Nicely. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star rating. Frontline Magic provides you with the tools, insights, and inspirational stories you need to deliver an awesome customer experience. Sign up for free and learn more on frontlinemagic.org. And thanks for making Frontline work awesome.